We've been looking at the book of First Peter together as we consider hope in the dark, and we've noticed there are some similarities uh, to the experience of the people to whom Peter is, is writing and ourselves. Uh, like us, they were going through a time of chaos. Uh, like us, there was, uh, there was a time of um, emotional and spiritual darkness. Um, they, uh, they were kind of spread out and uh, away from, uh, from one another for different reasons. Theirs were more uh, political and, and uh, religious persecution. Uh, but uh, but there, there are some real similarities. If nothing else, we can say that they were going through very difficult times and we are going through some very difficult times. And so when we look at the letter that Peter wrote to these believers who were going through difficulties, it is almost as if he is writing to us as well. And so we've been looking at this letter, 1 Peter. There are five chapters in the letter. And so we have, uh, we've been looking at uh, a portion of each chapter each week. This week we come to uh, chapter 4. And so if you have your copy of Scripture with you, if you'll look with me in chapter 4, we're going to begin at verse 12. As we consider together a trusting hope. Uh, we, we've talked uh, about uh, different aspects of the hope that we find in First Peter. Uh, we've we learned that Jesus is our living hope, and we talked about being a people of hope. And this morning, I want us to look at a trusting hope. One of the, the, the reasons that we can have hope is because we learn to really trust. And so it is a trusting hope. Uh, as we as we dive now into the chapter, the I think the essence of the chapter is that you and I are going to face suffering. What do we do when that happens? Let's look at verse twelve. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. The first thing that we do when suffering comes our way is we, we want to know how to react. We want to consider how to react. And so he, he, says, uh, he says in verse 12, beloved, he, he addresses them in that endearment, uh, that term of endearment, because he does that every time he's about to get into something really hard for them to hear. He wants them to know, I'm coming at you from a place of love. This is going to be hard to hear, but I want you to know I'm doing it because I love you. And so he says, beloved, get ready for this now. Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes. Notice he didn't say if. He didn't say if you have bad times. He said, don't be surprised when the fiery trial comes your way. What do we usually do? When something bad happens, we, we usually, we're, we're shocked and, and we're surprised. 
You know, as soon as we get over the initial shock, our first question is, why me? Out of all the people here, why, why me? I, why did I deserve this? Why did I get stuck with this? We're surprised at it. And so Peter says, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. Expect to suffer. Since we are fallen people, we live in a fallen world, every single one of us is going to hurt. You've already hurt before. Some of you are hurting right now. And you're going to hurt again. It's a part of living in a fallen world. So don't be surprised by it. When we're surprised by the fact that we have to go through a, a fiery trial, and, and I love that term, by the way. He calls it a fiery trial. He, he knows that his listeners are going to immediately remember the Old Testament story, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as they're in the fiery furnace and God got them through and took care of them. He knows that's what's going to come to mind. He says, don't be surprised when that fiery trial comes your way. Because when, when we're shocked by it, when we're surprised by it, we lose some joy and we lose hope for a little while. Instead, he says, you expect it. As people of Christ, you understand that it's going to happen, but he's with you and you're going to be okay. You can have joy and hope and don't let the surprise rob you of that. He says those fiery trials come to test you. Now understand that, that when you and I go through a test, it is not so that God can figure out where we are spiritually. When we go through a test, it's so that we can figure out where we are spiritually. You remember in school, there are two kinds of tests. There's the one that's on the syllabus, and you know it's coming. You have that six weeks test or that, that, that end of semester test or whatever it is. You know it's coming. The teacher tells you ahead of time. And so as you, as you get closer and closer to it, you know, you get a couple of days out from that test. You really start studying and you're getting ready for that. You know it's coming, so you prepare. But then there's that other kind of test. You know the kind I'm talking about? The pop quiz where the teacher walks in and says, okay, take out one sheet of paper and a number two pencil. And it seems like the people who love those pop quizzes the most are always coaches. You ever notice that? We're told ahead of time, life is going to be full of opportunities to test your faith. Be ready. The reason that, that, teachers use those pop quizzes, by the way, the reason they do that is so that you'll stay up instead of letting everything slide until the day before the big test and then you open your book for the first time and try to study up and cram. If you know you've got pop quizzes coming off and on throughout the semester, you're going to stay up on your reading. You're going to be ready. And so Peter is saying, guys, we're going to be tested many times in life. Just always be ready. And by the way, that test is not given 
those tests that come our way, they are not given in order to trip us up. A fiery trial, a fiery test is reminiscent of the way they purified the gold. They put the gold in the fire and that would make the stuff that shouldn't be there rise to the top. And then they could scrape off, they call it the dross, they'd scrape off the, the, the impurities that shouldn't be there. And then what was left was the real deal. And he says, that's how God can use those fiery trials. Not that, not that he does it on purpose to trip you up. Not that God even causes some of them. But he knows they're coming, so you should know they're coming. And when they come, understand that he can use them to get rid of the stuff that really shouldn't be there and purify what's left. And so when that happens, we have reason to rejoice. Look in 13. Rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. When we face difficulty, when we face trials and tribulations and heartaches, we can rejoice in this one thing, and that is that our Jesus suffered. So when we suffer, we are becoming more like him. When we suffer, it's a reminder of how he suffered for us. And if we suffer like he suffered, then we look forward to that day that we will all rejoice in glory when he returns. We'll get to be a part of that great day as well. And so there are reason, there, there, there is a reason to rejoice even when we're suffering. James put it this way in James chapter 1 at verse 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Again, James says that we're going to have trials of many kinds, various kinds. They're going to happen off and on throughout life. And he didn't say if, did he? Just like Peter, he said when, because it's going to happen. But consider it joy when that happens, because as a believer... Your suffering is reminiscent. It reminds you of Jesus' suffering. And as you suffer, you become more like him. And some of that dross is pulled out, and you become more and more like Jesus until that day that you get to celebrate with him on the day of glory. You can rejoice because you're going to receive a very special reward Still in James chapter 1, this time we jump down to verse 12. He says, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Listen, when bad things happen, we often respond in one of two ways. I've seen it both ways and so have you. Some of you have lived it both ways. Where something bad happens, we can say, all right, I believed God, but now you messed up. 
You should have handled it this way. You should have done it that way. Since you didn't do those things for me, I'm done, and we can walk away. Or we can say, when bad things happen, we can say, God, I believed you, and I also trust you. I don't understand it, but I trust you. My life really is in your hands. And he says, when you make that choice, when you are that connected to God, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. Because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. If you don't think that trials can bring rejoicing, just look at the case study that we find in Acts chapter 5. The apostles were speaking about Jesus. They were, they were telling the gospel in his name. And so the Sanhedrin got the apostles together and said, you no longer are allowed to speak about the name of Jesus. You cannot do anything else in that name. So what did the apostles do? According to Acts chapter 5, verse 41, the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for his name. They rejoiced because, wow, we're just normal everyday people. They were not super saints. They were normal everyday people with normal everyday jobs and normal everyday problems. And yet they were counted worthy to suffer the shame of being, being disciplined at the Sanhedrin because they stood for Jesus. The next verse, verse 42, says, Day after day in the temple and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. They never stopped. They counted it joy to be, to be considered worthy of the shame of being disciplined by the Sanhedrin. If you were put on trial for being a Christian, would you be found guilty? Is there enough evidence in your life that they could find you guilty? The apostles rejoiced because it was so clear that they represented Jesus. In September 1988, Hurricane Gilbert hit the Louisiana coast. At that time, it was considered the storm of the century. It battered the shoreline, severely disrupting the shrimping business. Many shrimp boats were causing great concern for several families who were depending on the shrimp for their livelihood. A shrimp boat owner was interviewed on the morning news. He was asked how the storm would impact the shrimpers. And with the devastation of Gilbert as a backdrop, this man said, well, there is a good side. 
The storm will have stirred up the bottom of the ocean, making for better shrimping once we're able to get back out there. This man understood hope. Hope that finds reason to rejoice, even in the midst of the fiery trials. Finds hope in the dark, not because of who I am, but because of who he is. And if I suffer because I represent him, then I'm honored by that, and I can rejoice. So as we think about the trials coming our way, we need to first of all think about how to react. And then we need to think about what to remember. There are some things we want to remember when those trials hit. Maybe that's tomorrow, maybe that's next week, maybe it's next month or next year. Whenever that next trial hits, here's what we want to remember. We begin in verse 14. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Three verses give us three things to remember when those trials hit. First, remember he's with you. Verse 14 says, If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed because the spirit of glory in God rests upon you. When you suffer, especially when you suffer for the name of Christ, when you suffer because of your beliefs, when you you go through fiery trials because the enemy is out to get you, you're not alone. As a child of God, you have the spirit of God resting on you and working within you to empower you to get through that trial and to get on to brighter days. You can hope in the dark because the Holy Spirit of God is at work in your life, regardless of what trial you face. The second thing to remember is the next verse, verse 15, and that is that sometimes we cause our own suffering. When you suffer, remember there are times when we caused it. So when suffering comes, it's a good time to take a, to take a personal inventory and say, now have my choices put me in this position? Sometimes people make horrible, terrible choices in life, and then their life falls apart, and then they come to the preacher and say, give me a verse that's going to fix it and tell me what, why God did this. Well, God didn't necessarily do it all the time. Sometimes you did it by the choices you made. You see verse 15? Let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer, or as a meddler, the implication is these people bring suffering on themselves because of the choices they've made. Isn't it interesting? Murderer, thief, evildoer. 
And all, all of us in the room this morning kind of went through a mental checklist. Okay, I'm safe on that one. I'm safe on that one. I'm safe on that one. But then what does he include in a list along with murderers and thieves and evildoers? Meddlers. Those of us who want to get in somebody else's business. And business is a word in Texas. Those, those, who like to, those who like to complain and stir up trouble within an organization or a church. Those who like to stir up gossip and talk about people behind their backs. Those who, those who enjoy drama more than they respect the truth. And so they're willing to stir up whatever they can stir up just because it's fun to see people go. You see, he says, sometimes the trouble in your life was brought on by the choices you made. When that happens, trials are a chance for us to take self-inventory. Now, why, why am I going through this? Could God be teaching me something? If so, I want to pay attention and not miss it because I don't want to have to go through this for nothing. And second, why am I going through this? Could it be because of some of the choices I've made and maybe do I need to make some adjustments so I don't have to go through this again? Trials give us an opportunity to do some evaluation. The third thing to remember when trials hit is that we should have no shame if we suffer for Christ. He's already said, you might be suffering because of the choices you made. In which case, that's on you, baby. But if you suffer because of your stand for Christ, then that should not carry any shame. Verse 16, yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Thank you, God that I'm going through this trial because it's drawing attention to the name of Jesus. In that we have hope and can rejoice. So when the trials come, we, we know how to react. Don't, don't be surprised. Don't be shocked. It's going to happen. Instead, react with rejoicing. And we know what to remember. Remember, he's with you. Make sure it's not something you, you're causing yourself. And if, it's, if, if the suffering is because of your stand as a Christian, then, then there's no shame. You can rejoice. And then finally, we need to think about who to rely on, how to react, what to remember, and finally, who to rely on. Look at verse 19. Verse 19 in chapter 4 says, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Let th therefore, th let those who suffer according to God's will. Now, that doesn't mean that every time you suffer, God wanted that to happen. 
I think a lot of bad things happen in life that God doesn't like any more than we do. But there are times when he allows things to occur. He allows those trials. Not that he causes all of them. Some of them he allows to happen because he knows that when you go through that fire, it's going to have the opportunity to separate some of that dross and get some of that junk out. And so it says, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator. He made you. He's the faithful creator. He made you. And so he knows you better than you know you. And because he knows you better than you know you, he knows how to take care of you. He may not always take care of you the way you think you ought to be cared for, but remember, he knows you better than you do. He's the creator. He knows how to take care of you. You can rely on him. The word that's used is entrust. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. That word for entrust means to put into someone else's care. It was a banking term. And it, we might think of it in terms of deposit. If I take my money down to Point West Bank and I give my money to them, I'm entrusting it to them. I'm putting my money in someone else's care. And I'm saying I'm depending on you to take care of this money. That's the word that's used. Entrust your soul to the creator. Entrust who you are. Deposit that into someone else's care, into the care of the one who knows you best. By the way, it's the same word that Jesus used when he was hanging on the cross and dying. He cried out, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. I entrust my soul. You and I need to remember who we can rely on in those days. Proverbs 3 and 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. It's not enough to believe. It's not enough to believe. There's a difference between believing the plane can fly and trusting it with my life. You and I, when we face those, tri those fiery trials, we can entrust our lives to the Creator who knows how to take care of us. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. The other day I... I sat down in the sound booth to work on one of the computers. And we have this little stool back there. And uh, I sat down on it at the wrong angle, and it just collapsed underneath me, and it was gone. Well, I was too lazy to take it out to the dumpster. So I just put it by a trash can over here in this, this room where we meet sometimes right before worship. 
And so the, the worship team came in here for our little meeting right before this worship service. And uh, Todd went over and he, he saw the little stool there and he went, you know, went and got it and he went to sit down. I said, wait, don't sit on that. Don't sit on that. It's broken. I just didn't get rid of it. It's, it, it, it's no good. What if, what if he had leaned on that? I mean, his understanding was this is a stool. I open this up. I can sit on it. What if he had leaned on that stool? His understanding wasn't enough. Neither is yours to get through this weird, mixed up, fallen, messed up life. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Entrust your soul to him. And lean not on your own understanding. Because you're going to pick a stool that's already broken and you don't even know it. Lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge him, the next verse says. Acknowledge him in all your ways. And he'll make your path straight. Verse 